Xena Warrior Princess? Oh, no, I am not talking about that. <laughs> no, ma'am. Welcome to this episode of Profess Hers, a podcast about movies, music, history, pop culture, current events, and literature, all discussed through the perspective of women's issues and feminism. I'm Allegra, and when I hear the term woman warrior or women warriors, I think of Wonder Woman, and it's not just because all of those words start with a W. English teachers, alliteration. Yeah, but I mean, that's just what I think of. I just think of like a very strong, battle-ready woman who could beat up everybody in sight. I think when, my name is Misty, and I think when I hear this, (laughs) (laughs) forgot to introduce myself, I think about Queen Isabella, which we talked about before, but like that's the epitome of a a warrior woman. Yeah, she's like a warrior queen too. Yes. Okay. Okay. I respect that. Out there on the battlefield leading people. So... You're going to love today's episode, Misty. I am because we're actually getting back to historical so stuff. So much history. But I mean, we did history two episodes ago with the Queens, with the Elizabeth. Yes. But then that there was a ago. lot of fiction with Game of Thrones. So I'm glad we're back to. <laughs> she went one, ep- one episode without history and she almost died. Fine. I'm glad you put a picture in our show notes. Just for, I guess, for me to see. I, I, I put a picture here because we're talking about women warriors today. We are. And so I put a picture in that is a sculpture of an ancient woman from Rome. Mm-hmm. And I want you to look at this picture and tell me what you see. What do you think this woman is doing? So she's in a, I don't know. Loincloth? Uh, yeah. She's holding a weapon of some kind, right? So historians now believe that there were female gladiators. Okay. But this sculpture for a long time was misclassified. We think it's now representing a female warrior because she's in a very warlike stance and a victory stance. Yeah. She's what you say, holding a weapon. Yeah. She's in a traditional gladiator uniform, which is a loincloth and like the knee shin guard kind of things. Yeah. I see that. Uh, But for a long time, people thought this was a woman who was cleaning herself. Okay. How often do you clean yourself, Allegra, with a giant talon looking thing? Um... You know, it's it's not often, but when it happens, I I want it to be memorialized <laughs> you stand in the victory stance. In the victory stance, and I want it to be memorialized as a statue. I just I love this picture because the idea of like a female gladiator was so hard to conceive of that they're like, oh, she must be cleaning it's herself. Gotta, it, with it's the- got to involve cleaning of some kind, obviously. Right. It was just so foreign to them that this is the best that archaeologists and historians could come up with of for a long time. Male archaeologists of and course, historians for of the course. most part. Yeah. So now. So, but th- there were, so you're telling me there were female gladiators. I'm telling you that since the early 2000s, it has been acknowledged by professional historians and archaeologists that we now believe that, yes, there were female gladiators. Voluntarily? Like they, they volunteered? They signed up? Some of them. We're not. Okay. So, if you're not familiar with The Gladiator. I'm familiar with the movie. <laughs> Which movie? The Russell Crowe movie. Okay. It's, I believe, called Gladiator. I thought you were going to say Sparta. No, that's not a movie. Yeah, there's a Sparta movie. No. What am I thinking of? 300? No. Okay, so, uh, gladiators sometimes were men that were Prisoners of war had been captured, or they were slaves, and they're fighting because they are forced to fight. Wait, wait, wait. We capture... Not we. They capture... Allegra personally <laughs> captured people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sure. Um, so, wait. they The Romans captured prisoners of war. Yes. And then 
made them. So this is like the Thor Ragnarok movie. Sure. Yeah. So they got captured and they were prisoners and then they were put into a coliseum and made to fight each other for yes. the entertainment of the masses. Yes. That happened in Thor Ragnarok. Sure. Yeah. Thor had to fight. Yeah. Sure. Hulk. Now, sometimes people would volunteer themselves for this or um, sometimes even men from like fel- fairly wealthy families because there is a lot of honor and prestige if you are a winner. Okay. So is this is this like a knight? Not really. It's more like the WWE. <laughs> it's more like professional wrestling. That I mean, with, without it being more like a show, like with it being actual people dying. Okay. It's more like that. Okay. It's a spectacle. It's something you would pay to go watch. Sure. It's not like you were this patriotic hero necessarily. Did people die? Was people it a fight? It was a fight to the death. Uh, not always, okay. but sometimes. Okay. And if you won, there's prize money. So slaves could buy themselves out of slavery. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So gladiators, uh, the battles. Why do we respect Rome as a civilization? <sighs> they united the ancient <laughs> world. They created roads. They gave us a lot of so, our... So we got roads and plumbing. And our lot But of... we also had slavery and forced fighting Nobody to the death. Nobody was saying it was perfect. That's why it fell. <sighs> So these gladiator battles are a really popular form of entertainment. Okay. They're very profitable. But like anything else, people eventually get bored. Oh, sure. I mean, watching people murder each other gets boring after a while. So they were always looking for ways spice to... Spice it up. <laughs> to spice it up. <laughs> to keep it novel. Make that public murder more interesting. So they had a lot of different types of gladiator events to keep it interesting, like you just said. Uh, sometimes they would flood the gladiator pits i guess with water so it's like a uh, a water battle they <laughs> you're looking at me like i'm crazy now it's starting i know you're gonna get so annoyed with me but now it's starting to sound like the hunger games kind of a little okay. bit yes okay. yes um sometimes they would pit people against animals i'm sure you've seen drawings of that yeah and then eventually they decided hey you know what might get people interested in this women naked women Mostly naked women. Yeah. And so gladiators. Did they have jello back then? Oh, you know, if they did, I'm sure it got used. <laughs> I'm just going to say that that probably happened. No, I'm joking, but no. I, it's a joke, but also it's an impulse that persists to this day, right? People are entertained by watching other people fight. I mean, that's where most modern sports come from but also things like jello wrestling well, yeah, for like entertainment you, would, you yeah. would like gamble you would say i think this guy's gonna win or eventually this girl's gonna win yeah yeah so i mean there's a lot that goes into this so we have several researchers that have started to look into this and written fairly extensively about it and what we have seen from this research is that what remains of actual primary sources is really only about a dozen sources that exist that mention the female gladiators so it's not a lot okay so we know it's fairly rare, uh-huh. but we also know that emperors began passing laws against having female contestants at some point. So it happened frequently enough that one of the Roman emperors was a little freaked out by it, and he didn't think that that was an appropriate place for women, so he banned it. To protect women or to protect gender role Probably more to protect gender roles. So we don't want to start thinking of women as being strong or capable of fighting. And this is kind of upsetting to my expectations and sensibilities. Yes. Okay. Yes. But it wasn't like, hey, we should stop making women fight topless. 
Well, I mean, or fight to the death, right? Because they still let men do it. Oh. So it's not like we have this progressive impulse all of a sudden, like, hey, we respect life and humanity. And yeah. we're going to all get along. That didn't happen. No. It was just, We're hey. still waiting for that to happen. <laughs> yes. So the female gladiators generally, usually, typically wore the same outfit, costume, whatever word you want to use there, as the male gladiators. Uh, they generally were topless. They wore a loincloth. Uh, they do sometimes wear some very light armor. The problem with it is even with it being light armor, it's still fairly heavy and it slows you down. Yeah. So you might choose not to wear it mm-hmm. because it gives you an advantage. I mean, yeah, sure. I'm going to pretend like I know how to weigh the cost benefit <laughs> analysis of armor versus flexibility. These are choices I've had to make. Sometimes these women who fight in these primary sources are referred to as the Amazons, which is this mythic legend. Nice. See, I said Wonder Woman. Yeah. I was totally on close. point. Yeah. And so we're uh, embodying these like powerful myths, right? We're reenacting them. But again, we are forcing women here to fight to the death. Hmm. So was it the same as with men? Was it sometimes they were being forced, sometimes they were prisoners, but sometimes they were voluntary? Were, I mean, were there women saying, hey, I want to go fight in a coliseum. I want to be a gladiator. Or was it mostly like a trafficking situation? I like that you refer to it as a trafficking situation. Well, yeah. No, it is. Um, there were probably most of the women who fought, probably most of them didn't have a lot of choices. It was probably this or sex work. Okay. However. Which sounds like a trafficking situation. It is. Yeah. There were some wealthy women who chose to do this. Wealthy. Wealthy. So because they had to be trained and outfitted. So if you're going to become a gladiator, a lot of times you would go to either gladiator school. Nice. Or you would have a tutor. A gladiator tutor. Yes. Sure. This is actually one of the reasons that some slaves volunteered to be gladiators because the slave work was hard manual labor and it would kill you too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, literal digging of ditches. Yeah. So at least if you got to go to gladiator school, it might extend your life a little bit. Yeah. You might live longer than if you were digging a ditch and something heavy fell on you. Yeah. So the female gladiators that came from these wealthy families had the money to have its private tutor because there were no gladiator schools for women. Okay. So they can only do this through private tutoring. So anyone, any woman who was a voluntary female gladiator was wealthy. Voluntary, yes. Why would a wealthy Roman woman volunteer to be a gladiator? Help Ro- me understand that. Okay. So Roman women yeah. are incredibly, incredibly oppressed. Even the wealthy ones. Mm-hmm. Everything in your life is dictated to you by the relationship you have to men. Okay, father than husband. Or brother. If a woman has a husband that dies and she has a large amount of property, wealth, land, they would basically assign her a chaperone if she had no male family members to help her spend and control her property. Right, because she can't make decisions. Her brain is small. Obviously. She can't handle that. So many. I mean, the uterus is taking up so much of her energy. So female gladiators have this independence that the rest of the women in Rome didn't have. They can earn money on their own. They could become famous and they didn't have to marry. You're telling me that it was even for a wealthy woman, it was possibly a better option to become a gladiator than to just live in society with the gender role expectations put before you. I'm saying that some women chose that. Interesting. And I think especially because our ideas of sexuality are so different now. Yeah. That if you were maybe in the LGBTQ community in ancient Rome, 
and you know you're going to be forced into a marriage that you don't want. Right. And I mean, relatively until recently, being in a marriage meant you basically had sex anytime your husband wanted to. Well, and you have no autonomy whatsoever yeah. in Rome. I like, mean, no bodily autonomy, no personal, no financial, nothing. nothing. Yeah. Nothing. So for some women, this was a choice that they made. Okay. So you're saying if a person was asexual or homosexual or perhaps a trans person, they... Even though those concepts, the way that we envision them, don't sure. exist in Rome? Yeah. Yes. Yes. But they this, would have... It would have been better for them. For some people. Yeah. Yes. That is the choice that they would have made. So... What's really sad to me about this story is that we have these women who are in, I mean, this is combat. It's yeah. not war combat, but it's combat. Right, sure. And they are being watched by thousands of people. Yeah. Some of them probably even had little figurines or dolls made of them because they became so popular. Action figures. Kind of. Didn't know they had those in Rome. Okay. But then because it's so outside of the professional conception in history and archaeology that women could do this Mm -hmm. we just forgot them we just forgot them well of course we did so i'm glad that the story is re-emerging and i'm glad that this is an active field of research but i hate that it's been thousands of years so even though there were physical records a few but yes there were physical records we just left this out of the gladiator story so part of the problem is that there are so few records and then part of the problem is again who wrote the records not women not women okay So sometimes they're describing these women who choose to fight and really kind of degrading them. Yeah. And, you know, there were sensibilities that we're dealing with in the 18 and 1900s where I don't want to write about those women. Mm -hmm. It would be improper Mm -hmm. to discuss that. Yeah. So even the historians that knew about it didn't want to write about it. Man, that's weird. It is weird. I'm glad that that's changing. So, but I mean, the story reminds me of a lot of things we've talked about previously. I mean, it reminds me of Brienne from Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. This in some ways is similar to even like the women who played baseball, right? It was one of very few options they had to get some autonomy. And it was popular entertainment. And it was popular entertainment. But then just nobody talked about it. And then, yeah, we're just going to drop you right off the map. It's interesting. These are, what, what year was this approximately? I mean, I know that women were barred from it in the year 200, but I don't know when the first woman started. Gladiating. Gladiating? Is that a word? Please tell me gladiating is a word. I don't know. I made that up. Gladiating as a whole, because you're very historically minded. Yeah. I like to put things into their proper historical context. I think as we all know. So about 200 before the Common Era is when the gladiator games kind of get started. And then they begin to sort of taper off by about 200 common era and then come to a complete end about 300. So that's like 500 years of gladiating. Right. I'm going to say that word. I'm going to use gladiating. Yeah, Yeah. I like it in some form or another. Uh, But I don't know within this because the records are so shallow where we hit the height of female gladiators. You're using your historian language. The records are so shallow. Sorry. I don't know when the height of female (laughs) gladiating was. And I don't know if anybody knows. I don't know if we have the records on that. I'm sure somebody knows. Somebody who's able to read. Probably somebody listening. Latin and Greek. Somebody listening to this podcast right now just like shouting the year at the radio. Radio. Ooh. I mean, if if you're listening in your car. I guess. It's coming through your car radio, right? Your stereo. I guess. Your speakers. What What word do you want me to use? Phone. 500 years is a long time. It is. No, I mean, how long, how many years since the Civil War? 
since the Civil War? How many years did it last? How many years since? It ended in 1865. So do some math. I mean, like 150, right? 154. You were pretty close. So I'm just trying to put I'm I'm trying to put things into some actual context here. Gladiating lasted 500 years. That is a long time. Yes. Because, I mean. On and off, right? So, like, if Rome is at war or. Yeah, all of the. Sure. I mean, you know, there could be times where it stopped if there's a famine, an outbreak of disease. But yeah, overall, about 500 years. Wow. So those were the only female warriors in our history. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. No. End of episode. (laughs) Okay, so who's the other lady warrior you want to talk to us about? So um, this is also connected to Rome. Okay. So lots of ancient history today. I know. I you had a is break from his- you? you had a break from history, so you had to take us into the way, way back. Okay. So we're going this back is, this hardcore. Is our, this is our punishment. For one fun episode <laughs> of Game of Thrones, we have to go to ancient Rome. It's not a punishment. Oh, sure. It's a joy it's a and a reward. delight. It's a reward. So Zenobia is born in Syria. Well, what would, today would be Syria. Okay. At around 240, common era. Okay. And she's going to be a woman who challenges Rome. Okay. So that's pretty interesting because not a lot of women... What do you mean? ...get to do that. So do you know anything about Rome? I know about the streets and the plumbing. Okay, so Rome is constantly expanding. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Constantly attacking and taking Conquering places over. And, yeah. and then like adopting culture. So she's living in Palmyra, okay. which is a Roman province. But would now be considered part Syria. of Syria. Okay. Yes. And her father, because he had... I don't want to use the word collaborated because that's too strong. But he had somehow worked with Rome. Okay. So he had been granted Roman citizenship, which would mean that his children would also have been granted Roman citizenship. Okay. So depending on how you look at it, she could technically be classified as Roman, but ethnically she was not Roman. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So she's going to be married to a pretty influential member of society. Whose name was (laughs) Septimius. Yes. Uh, However. Odenathus. Yeah, I wasn't even going to attempt that one. Uh, I'm, but, I'm never sure what to do when the A and E are back to back like that. But you know, Septimius Odenatheus. You're going to be better at, than I am at any of these pronunciations. Okay. So, but in the year 258, she got married yes. to a pretty influential person. Right. So okay. she already comes from an influential family. She marries into an influential family. So she could just be just another Roman woman that we really don't know anything about. Sure. But but there's going to be some assassinations that happen. All right. So her husband is assassinated. Oh. And there is a question of whether or not she had anything to do with this. Did she? I'm going to say that it would not have been outside of the scope of her personality. Okay. So I'm not saying she did it. Sure. I'm just saying because I wouldn't you, you be don't have surprised. It in the, I mean, you don't have it in the historical record. Exactly. So when that happens, because of her position, she is going to get to essentially rule her very little piece of land. Okay. So like a feudalist? Sort of. Yeah. Okay. So I, I mean, I don't want to call her queen because that's overstating it quite a bit. But yeah, a feudal lord, essentially. Okay. So she is going to tell her generals that she wants to become the queen of Egypt. Oh, yeah. She's not even in Egypt. She is close to Egypt, but she's not in it. I mean, so, okay. I want to be queen of Egypt. And basically, she wants to be Cleopatra. Okay. Who doesn't, though? You know? 
And she claims at various points in her life to have descended from Cleopatra, although there is no evidence of that. Okay. But I mean, hey, if you're going to claim something, sure. I mean, go we've for got, it. We've got like thousands of people running around saying they're related to George Washington. Right. So, so just be it. Right. So is Cleopatra still? No, I mean, no, 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 not at all. Um, <laughs> Misty's like, she's like real dead. No. Read a book. But, but. She had become this figure, right, of rallying sure. and resistance yeah. to Rome. So, I also mean, also famous for her love of cats. I didn't know that Cleopatra liked cats. Yes, I did not know that. So, anyway, you really need to study the important things about <laughs> history, Missy. Okay, I feel like there's... I think I just accidentally called you Missy instead of Misty, but ignore. All right. So she um, tells her generals that they're going to invade Egypt, and that she believes She's, she is a very small little corner of what would be Syria today. And she's like, you know what? Let's just go invade Egypt. And the reason that she wants to do that is because Egypt had become a Roman territory. Okay. And Rome is occupied because they have other rebellions going on. Okay. And Egypt is not super important to Rome. So, hey, they're busy fighting these other rebels. I see. I'm going to take that. Okay. So, Rome isn't inspecting any sort of invasion of Egypt. They're not really even expecting any sort of Asian rebellions at all. Asian uh, minor rebellions. Yeah. So she decides, you know what? I'm doing it. She is able to succeed early on because she cut off the Roman supplies. That's a pretty smart tactic. It's a brilliant tactic. Now, again, question in the historical record there. Did she decide that or did her generals decide it? But she's the leader of this force, right? Sure. So we're going to give her credit. And then she is going to, like I said, declare herself to be like the new Cleopatra. And how they go over. So ultimately... Her success was short-lived. No. Yeah, it didn't go great for her. There's a historian that writes about her that says she ruled most excellently. Okay. Even if it was for a very short amount of time. Okay. So Like how short? Like two years? Uh, Really more like months. Oh. I mean, short. I mean, I could do an excellent job for a couple months. I mean, you think you could. I could. So her armies were overextended, essentially, is what happened. Yeah, sure. She got a little too excited and moved a little too quickly. And then she is going to be killed. But there's a question of how this happened. So in uh, some versions of this, mm-hmm. she goes out just like Cleopatra, which there's... Which is how? With the asp that bites her. Oh, uh, okay. 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 But there's questions about that historically with Cleopatra as well. So that probably didn't happen. Yeah. It's just that we're trying to make these historical analogies. Sure. Okay. Okay. Uh, there's another version of this that basically says that once she's caught, she plays a girl card. And she's like, I couldn't do this. I'm just a girl. There's no way I invaded Egypt. <laughs> You're just confused. Uh, but most versions say that what happened was she's brought back to Rome and that she's paraded through the streets and shamed. Essentially, that they they use her as an example mm-hmm. of what will happen to you if you tried to lead a rebellion. Okay. So we're not exactly sure how the story ends. But we know that after this rebellion, she becomes fairly famous. Um, you know Chaucer? I know Chaucer. Thank you. <laughs> he wrote about her in the Canterbury Tales. Did you know that? <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't pronounce things. You should know that by now. I really can't. <laughs> For a minute, I was really like, is she talking about someone else? Okay. So um, she's in the Canterbury Tales. She's in the Canterbury Tales. A lot of historical figures. Um, there's a uh, historian, maybe it's too harsh a word here, but... Uh, Christine de Bazan is a writer in the 1400s, a, an early feminist writer. That's cool. Who created like this little biography of her, kind of inflated it a little bit. But, you know, that's all right with me. 
Yeah, I'm okay with it too. I feel like the biographies of a lot of men were getting inflated yeah. falsely. So yeah, and then in 1993, uh, there were a couple of fictionary portrayals of her in video games. Oh, which we'll talk about later. But sure. So I think that her story is one that should be pointed out again because we have this notion of like women have never been in combat, women have never led militaries. Yeah, women have never made strategic decisions, and but that's they have. They just have been not true. And I also want to include her because I think sometimes. And I think we're really guilty of this in Women's History Month. We pick people who only did amazing things and like never failed. Yeah. So I wanted to show a woman that did this amazing thing. Yeah. But wasn't successful for very long. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, still, as you said, she became famous or well known for what she did. Exactly. And it was remarkable. It was remarkable. Absolutely. And again, her story kind of gets erased, right? This isn't a well-known story. I mean, not to me, but I don't know very many stories from history. So, so sure. I mean, I'm I'm going to believe you. This is not a commonly told historical story. It's not, but it should be. I mean, it's no different from any other rebellion, and it should be put back into... Yeah, I, I mean, to say I spot a weakness, I'm going to take advantage because I think that this is something... Because I'd I can. Be, right. I like it. I want it. I'd be good at it. I'm going to do it. Um, I think it's pretty cool. That just almost sounded like a pop song. I yeah. like it. I want it. I mean, those are, I think, our lyrics from that Ariana Grande song we made you listen to that time. Yep. So you're welcome. So are you going to tell me about the military today? I am. And, and am I going to be happy? You know, you're not going to be too too sad. That's good. <laughs> so about 16% of the military, of our military right now, 16% is female. One six. One six. Okay. That's and, actually higher than I thought it would be. So, And the breakdown depends a little bit on the branch of the military. So the fewest uh, women are in the Marines. They've got the smallest percentage of female members. There are more women in the Air Force than in any other branch. That absolutely makes sense to me. Why? Uh, both my cousins are data analysis people in the Air Force. Yeah. And there were a lot of women who did those jobs. And so each branch of the military has their own special operations forces. Um, You probably are most familiar with groups like the Green Berets, the Army Rangers, the Navy SEALs. But each branch has multiple special operations command groups. Okay. Right. And there are and have always been, let me be very clear from the outset, there have always been women serving in special operations forces. And that's important because special operations is where the toughest mm-hmm. work is happening for the most part. Obviously, all jobs in the military require a certain amount of mental, physical toughness. But special operations, most training, most detail-oriented, most physical toughness, most sacrifice for the most part. And a um, lot of them are frontline. Yes. And so they're, they have mission-critical positions. So women have always been serving in special operations forces, including roles in civil affairs, psyops, special reconnaissance, aviation, and even things like forward surgical teams and cultural support teams. So all of those are special operations commands units, and all of them have had female members. What you hear about most often is that we don't have any female Army Rangers or any female Navy SEALs, right? That's something that comes up pretty regularly. In 2016, the Pentagon changed the rule in the Obama administration to allow women in all for all service positions. So all positions were open to people of, of any, regardless of gender. Right. And so that opened the doors to a lot of things. And women started Navy SEAL training and they started Army Ranger School. We still don't 
as of right now, have any women who serve as Green Berets, as Army Rangers, or as Navy SEALs. We have women who have gone through the training, either entirely or partially, but we don't have any women in those three specific special operations commands. But that does not mean that women are not doing all of these kinds of jobs that are super dangerous, super secretive, or super specialized. That's what special operations are really known for, right? Dangerous, secretive, and specialized. We're kind of trained by the media to think of the flashiest groups when we hear special operations or special forces. But the Air Force Special Operations Command, AFSOC, has had the most success integrating women as leaders throughout their special operations forces. They have female wing commanders, operations chiefs, squadron commanders, female command chief master sergeants, and first sergeants. So they have women throughout their um, special operations commands. And, you know, this isn't just a matter of being equal, right? Right. Like, there are jobs that we need these women to do. Absolutely. And I think on the cultural support teams, that is probably the most easy example to point to. Yes. But there are places women can go that men literally cannot go. Right. There are cultures where men cannot go approach women who live there. Right. Exactly. But other women could. And I think not recognizing that for as long as we did was a huge mistake. I mean... Ignoring the the basics of equity and access, right, to just say there are women who are as good at all of these jobs as there, you know, as men are, and we're denying them access, and we're also losing the benefit of having them in those roles. Additionally, there are all kinds of things that only women can do or that women would be better able to do because of cultural norms in exactly. the places where we're asking them to serve. Absolutely. Exactly. As if just for a few examples, Lieutenant Colonel Allison Black, her nickname is Angel of Death. If you're going to have a nickname. She flies an AC-130 gunship and uh, she flew it in northern Afghanistan's insurgent territory in 2001. She provided critical cover to U.S. special operations teams on the ground, and she has gone to serve in a number of leadership roles in Special Operations Command, including as a squadron commander. And lots of other female serving in leadership roles in Special Operations Command, including in you know chiefs of staff, chief master sergeants, command chiefs, and filling in leadership roles. So the notion that we don't have women in special operations is entirely false. Now, it's true that we don't have women in these certain special operations that are the most kind of well-known and publicized. Right. A woman did complete the Army Special Forces training. They're not releasing the name of the woman who did it because of the nature of special ops work in the Army. But a female has completed has successfully completed special forces assessment and selection and has gone on to future training. And so that is how you become a Green Beret and Army Ranger is going through those kinds of trainings. Well, and historically, there was an argument that women wouldn't be physically strong enough. Right. And complete. a lot of, and, and in all honesty, a lot of, a lot of women don't make it into the selection process to go into the training because they don't have the physical strength yet. But a lot of that is because they have never been trained as hard. Right. right? A lot of these men have have been in pre-training, right? They're grooming them for this training starting from their enlistment or even earlier. So it's not that women can't. It's just that women haven't had the same opportunities for that kind exactly. of training. And I mean, there are lots of women and lots of men who aren't physically strong enough or physically capable to do this. That's why it is a very selective group, obviously. So, so um, like us. <laughs> definitely. 
I'm not even sure I would survive the walk to the training. So no, it's not for me. But more than a dozen women have gone through Army Ranger School. And then, like I said, one went through the more specialized Special Forces Assessment Selection Course, which is the first step to becoming a Green Beret. So women are starting to make inroads into those kind of very flashy special operations. Still no female Navy SEALs. But I think that the media coverage is worth discussing just a little bit because what you hear about is we don't have female Green Berets and we don't have female Navy SEALs, which means women can't do any of this work. And that's not really what it means. We've only had three years where women were even able to apply for these positions. And again, women have been serving in special operations commands for the entire time the military has existed, whether in name or not. Right. So I want to talk to you about Shannon Kent. Okay. I want to start by saying that in January, Shannon Kent was killed by a suicide bomber in Syria. Officially, her job title was cryptologic technician, which sounds like a desk job. It does. But it wasn't. She spent much of her professional life wearing body armor and carrying an M4. She was, in all but name, part of the Navy Special Forces. Okay, she worked with Navy Special Forces on the ground. She often said that because she was not officially part of the Special Forces or SEAL units, she would have a hard time explaining, even to people in the Navy, even to people with clearance, she had a hard time explaining what she did and to what extent she did it. And she also also said that people often didn't believe her. They just they thought just, she was lying? They just didn't think, oh, well, we don't have any women doing those jobs. So they thought she was kind of exaggerating the extent to what she was doing. That must have been so frustrating. Her husband, who was also in the Navy, said her job was to go out and blend her knowledge of cryptology. I'm going to tell you what these words mean in just a minute. I know what cryptology means. Cryptology, SIGINT, and HUMINT to help the task force find the right guys to paint the X on for a strike or a raid. Okay, so cryptology is code breaking. SIGINT is signals intelligence, like intercepting and interpreting phone calls and other communications. And HUMINT is human intelligence, which is being able to persuade people to give you information. Does that make sense? So she could do code breaking. She could intercept phone calls and figure out what people were talking about and what things meant and pick up on subtle nuances in conversations. And she could also talk to a person one-on-one and get them to give her information that they wouldn't have voluntarily given. When she was 35, which is younger than I am now, she was an expert in all three of those things, signal intelligence, human, uh, human intelligence, and cryptology. Her dad was a police officer, and so her husband said that she started, you know, working on those kinds of skills even when she was a kid, just because she grew up with a dad who was a cop. Her her husband said she understood how all the pieces came together. She wasn't just relying on local informants. She knew how to fill in the gaps through her knowledge of different intelligence capabilities. She was kind of a one-stop shop for finding bad guys. That's a nice description. Yeah. She spoke a half dozen Arabic dialects and four other languages. Whoa. Yes. She was one of the first women to complete the rigorous course required for troops to accompany Navy SEALs. So she was like Navy SEAL adjacent. So she could do a marathon in three hours and 30 minutes. She could do a dozen full arm hang pull-ups. So it's like where you're hanging all the way down and you you pull yourself all the way up. Uh, And she could march four miles with a 50-pound rucksack. So she was like the very model of like human intellect 
skills, like perfect strategy and all of the physical toughness. Absolutely. She had five overseas combat deployments, which is a lot, which is a lot. lot to master the collection of human intelligence. She got the trust of tribal leaders, merchants, local government officials, and she got people to risk their own safety and security to give information for the kind of betterment of everybody. So she did a lot. And the story we often hear is we don't have any female Navy SEALs. I think what we have to do is change the narrative about women in special operations because we have to acknowledge that there are women who are doing these jobs. So Kent's death, was it a combat death? Yes. She's killed by a suicide bomber. But I mean, yeah, she was there yeah. for a combat deployment. Absolutely. The discussion and media attention about women in Special Operations Command just has to go beyond the story of the, the first female Navy SEAL. I mean, that's bound right. to happen soon, and that's going to be a big story. But I don't want that story to erase all of these other stories of all of these other women who have done these things in service of special operations or as adjacent members of those groups. There are women contributing to special operations in mission-critical roles. Right now. Right now. And I think that that's important to remember because when we're talking about what women are capable of and if we want to think about little girls growing up, what do they think they can be capable of? We don't want to say the path is so narrow that we've got one woman. Right. You know what I mean? It's not that narrow of a path. There are lots of women doing these jobs. And they've been doing things like this since the ancient Romans. Exactly. And the other thing is those women receive, I mean, people in the military are generally pretty humble about their service and they don't, they're not saying, you know, write stories about me and give me lots of recognition, but they deserve recognition for their success in special operations. They are enabling all of the military operations that we have. Well, and I think we've talked about this before with representation, right? Just knowing that those people in those roles exist makes it possible for you to think of yourself that way. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So if you're interested in learning more about women in these roles, Ashley's War is a fantastic book. And it's about a woman who was on one of those cultural support teams in Afghanistan. I think I heard about that book. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty well known. I think it came out, I want to say 2014, but maybe 2015. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's not new, new, but it's not super old either. <laughs> It's historically new. Don't ask Misty how old or new something is. Her context for these things is very off. Not the same as anyone else's. So a four-year-old book, is that old to you? No. Okay. I I highly, highly recommend it. If it came out while I was working here, it's not old. (laughs) Ask me. That's your gauge? Yeah. (laughs) If I still work here in 20 years, I guess I'll have to change my gauge. I don't know. So we've been talking about women warriors and women in the military. Yeah. And next week... We're going to be talking about video, video games. games. Can you tell who picked that one? Because it wasn't me. I think it was you, actually. Anyway, as I was researching for the Warriors, I came across something that really could have gone in either one this week or next week. Okay. So this is like a little bit of a tease for next week. Sure. But it also fits here with the Women Warriors. Okay. So there is a video game called. Hold on. I lost the name of it. It's called Total War. (laughs) All right. There's a game called Total War. Uh, You don't know anything about video games. No, next week should be fun for me. And when this game came out, you could choose a military general, and up to 15% of the military generals were female. Okay, sure. So 15%, Allegra. Yeah. 15. 
one five yeah not a majority no not five one no 15 15 and people lost their minds Mm -hmm. some people were calling for a ban or a boycott on this game why because it was unrealistic to them that you would have that many female warriors or female generals there was this idea that that was historically inaccurate and so therefore it should not be happening because i don't understand why you would get mad I honestly don't either, but uh, one customer left a review of the game and basically said that having so many women to choose from was plain silly. Plain silly? Yes. Who even said? So Ella McConnell, who is going to be paid by the game makers to moderate the forum. Okay. She got a little sassy with her response. Yeah. And she said, Total War games are historically authentic, not historically accurate. If having female units upsets you that much, you can either modify them or just not play. Cool. Yeah. But this idea that we've never had women... I'm going to boycott a game that I actually like playing because you gave me too many options to be a lady. Yes. But 85% of my options are dudes. Exactly. Also... I mean, that's kind of like when people got mad that there was one all-women-only screening of Wonder Woman. Like, we're not taking anything away from you. You're just used to having access to literally everything. Exactly. It's so crazy. And just this idea that we've never had women warriors. There's never been women in the military. What are you talking about? Yeah. Well, it's not just it's not just Total War. It's also Battlefield Five. Oh, good. There's more than one. Yeah. So you told me about that. And I went to look it up. And then I found information about a different game. And I just realized it's not the same game you were talking about. So yeah, there's two games. So Battlefield Five was is a World War II first-person shooter game. Okay. And it actually started a, kind of a hashtag online called Not My Battlefield oh my because God. the game featured women fighting on the front lines, which some fans complained sacrificed authenticity for political correctness. But of course, women. there were some women with combat roles in World War II, and of course, a lot of women with non-combat but mission-critical roles in World War II. Um, yes. So, yeah. Especially non-Americans. And since when do... Uh, so, yeah, I mean... And yeah, it's a fictional game. Yes. So, again, EA, Electronic Arts, is the people who make Battlefield Five, and then what they said is, today gaming is gender diverse like it hasn't been before. Two choices, either accept it or don't buy the game, which is very similar to what that board moderator said about uh, Total War. So one of the vice presidents and general managers of the company said, first, let me be clear about one thing. Player choice and female playable characters are here to stay. So I really like the responses from both of these companies. Absolutely. And not that these people are actually worried about authenticity, but there were women fighting in these wars. Women have been part of all of our wars. S- to say, oh, this is just p- being PC is ridiculous. Exactly. Were there, I mean, was there exactly 15% female war generals in Probably Roman not. times? Who knows? But sure. But we do have women playing the game. So I found a funny tweet okay. making fun of this. Hello, yes, I would like to report a bug. There are non-sexualized women with the potential for agency in my fantasy video game, and I want it to stop. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, like that's what you're complaining about, right? Right. There are real female characters, and... And 15% is just too many. Yeah. 
It's just too many. Women have been taking part in all of these war efforts, in all of our efforts to protect and serve. It's just very weird that this is what people complain about. And next week, we're going to talk about a lot of very weird pushback to women playing video games and being included in that space. Because apparently, nothing we do. Just no (laughs) place is safe. No place. So Not even good, virtual places. So the good news is just do whatever you want. Because, yeah, <laughs> it sucks everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when we can be positive. I'm leaving that in there. I know you think I'm going to take it out, but I'm leaving it in. Hey, Misty. Yes. What's the next in your lady life? So I have something I'm super excited about. I bet it's going to be really boring. So tomorrow... Okay. I will be at the 2019 Civic Learning and Democratic Engagement Conference in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I mean, the location sounds fun. It's amazing. It has its own private beach. I'm so excited. But more important than that, it's about how to get students involved in the democratic process and how to get them to vote. Okay. Fine. I won't call it boring. It's going to be so cool. I guess. I'm going to buy you something while I'm there. Okay. What? You're going to... I'm going to find the nerdiest, dorkiest, (laughs) most historical thing I can find. I don't want any of that. What's next in your lady life? Well, not nearly as exciting, but summer classes just started. And, you know, I'm going to... I'm teaching creative writing this summer. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to do a full semester of creative writing in five weeks, but we're going to do it. It's going to be fun. You know, shout out to all... Not at all overwhelming? No, no, no. I'm I look forward to all of that grading in that compressed time period. <laughs> you know, shout out to my summer one students who are listening cuz I'm sure that's what they're doing. Taking this compressed class, they're going to have With time all their to, free time to listen to me talk even more in my podcast. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to? Thank you for listening to this episode of Profess Hers. Our podcast about seeing movies, culture and history through our lady eyes. I'm Misty, and right now I'm probably laying on a beach in Florida. I thought you were going there for work. And I'm Allegra, and right now I'm probably grading a student's poem and giving them very helpful and insightful feedback about how to become an even better writer. I love that you're confident. We'd love to hear from you what you thought about today's episode, what you'd like us to discuss in future episodes, or how great you think we are. To connect with us, you can follow us on Twitter at ProfessHers, P-R-O-F-E-S-S-H-E-R-S, or by email at ProfessHers at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you to everyone who's been listening, commenting, liking, and reviewing our podcast. Please keep doing all of those things, and we hope you recommend our podcast to a friend. And remember, fight like a girl.